been walking through the Sermon on the Mount and today's passage has to deal with that judge not. That's the sound bite that gets played. <laughs> and uh, there's a whole lot more to the passage than just that. Uh, usually if you, how many have heard judge not in the last week? No, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> It, it, it often comes across as, don't tell me what to do. But uh, again, it's important to read all the way through the, the verses. And it says, judge not that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And it, it's critical to catch this idea that God God operates by a different standard than we do. And we've watched this all through this particular passage, uh, how he, he has a higher standard and a more noble approach to things than what we have. And so when it comes to this, our goals oftentimes in regard to judgment are the thing of quit telling me what to do, I know what's right. Or we're telling others, you need to... Uh, uh, to straighten this out, and they're going, don't talk to me that way. And it all has to do with our personal interaction, and it's not just about getting things right, but in God's standard, it's bringing it into goodness, and it's bringing it into wholeness. And so it, it moves the bar up in a way that we're not used to thinking of in these terms. And, and so uh, oftentimes when we're we're wrestling through these things. We're not necessarily looking at the previous thing and said, blessed are those who show mercy. You know, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And we're going, how do you tie that to judgment or justice? Because God's trying to bring it into a wholeness and a goodness that exceeds what we're used to. And so when we walk through a passage like this, uh, there's a, it's not just looking out for our rights, and it's not looking out just so we don't encroach on someone else, but there, it's trying to move that whole thing upward and into a, a health that we're not necessarily used to. It's more than right or wrong. It's moving things into goodness and generosity. It's moving it into mercy. Um, Luke expands this idea some when, when he covers his teaching, and he goes, Judge not, and you'll not be judged. Condemn not, and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And so this teaching is coming across of this idea, you want God to be generous to you? Be generous. You want God to be merciful to you? Be merciful. You want to be forgiven? Forgive. You want to, uh, to hold a harsh standard for everyone else? Anticipate God treating you that way. And so there's this challenge thrown to us that says, you want to behave like God wants to. You want to carry the attitude of Christ. Now, when, when it came to judgment and our sin, we said, good thing he stepped in and brought forgiveness to us. Good thing that he paid the price for our sin. And in the same way, he's wanting us to act similarly. He wants us to take on the heart that has a generosity 
that exceeds even what we want to say being treated fairly or even, so to speak. Um, I linked together another Bible project video. This is on justice because it helps get across what I want to say. All right, it's movie day at the church. Okay, so let's let's go through that and then we'll go from there. If it everything works. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that, but we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use, but what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like here in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. 
They ended up as immigrant slaves being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's good. Hey, this is John and Tim from the Bible Pro. Yeah, the, you get another offering if we keep that <laughs> going through there. Um, that said, this whole picture of justice and then judgment, evaluating and what's just, we have to take things from God's perspective, right? We have to begin to look and say, let that become a part of my thinking so that we're not just looking out for ourselves, so to speak. And, and that's the challenge that's thrown out to us in this judge not, you know, but rather look in and say, use the measure that you want to be treated with. Um, in Leviticus 19, um, the Old Testament has some of this same idea. You know, it's warning, there's a warning against being a slanderer or hating others or taking vengeance or even bearing a grudge, and then he goes, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so it, it's set out for us. This is, this is how God wants things done. In Matthew chapter 7, continuing on in this passage, it says, do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. In other words, he says, 
there's a tendency oftentimes for us to participate in faulty judgment. And part of that is because of the cloudiness of what, how we see things because of our own sin. And so, you know, oftentimes when we get so irate with others, they're doing the very things we do. Or they're stepping into things that we wish that we were stepping into, and there's an anger about us that says, why them, not me? And then we can start nitpicking and pushing at things. But it, really, it's, it's, it's a, a, a falseness that Jesus is warning us against and saying, don't get caught up in that kind of thing. Um, there's a, uh, another verse out of Romans. It says, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you judge you're, you practice, as the judge, you practice the very same things. And, and Paul's building this argument that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he says, one of the things that we do is that we judge others while we continue to do the very thing that we're judging them for. He says, that's messed up. That's my uh, paraphrase. <laughs> in Luke chapter 6, in tying with this same teaching, he says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? And he's going, you know, there's a, uh, if, if you haven't got things straightened out in your own life, how are you going to tell anybody else what to do? If you haven't figured out how to conquer this sin, how are you going to teach victory to someone else? If you haven't overcome this thing, you know, it's like if, if we're, we're carrying greed in our own hearts and we're despising those who are greedy, how are we going to lead them into any kind of health? You know, and you can walk through the sins, whatever ones you want to pick up. It's, it's the same thing. But in John chapter 7, when Jesus, you know, John writes in Jesus dealing with these things, he says, do not judge by appearance, but judge with right judgment. He says, make sure that you're taking on the appropriate things and seeing things from God's eyes. Back to Matthew 7, this teaching continues, and it says, Do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. So he's in this same passage of judge not, he's also saying there's a, a necessity of discernment that decides when to say things and when not to. In other words, like in Proverbs, it says, you can't teach a fool anything. So why are you wasting your breath? You know, it, it's that kind of thing that just comes out and, and it's like, who are, who's your audience? What, what are you trying to get done? There's a couple things in, in Proverbs. It says, a, like a dog returns to its vomit, a fool repeats his folly. And so as there's a continuation on in this, you don't want to just keep talking to the wind, so to speak. In Second uh, Peter, there's a passage written about those who return to their sin after coming to Christ. And then he gives this declaration. He says, the proverb is true. The dog returns to his vomit. The sow, from wa after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Very similar linking of illustrations here. It's like there's a tendency for people, to, or the fool, to just step back into their own stupidity. In regard to discernment, 
there is a necessity of us discerning in things. You know, even though you know, we look at this, do not judge, if you take it inappropriately, it doesn't go any further, right? Rather than taking it and using it with the measure that you want to be treated. But the, the warning comes out as well later in this same passage. It says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. And it says, you will recognize them by their fruit. That's a discerning thing. Now, let's go back even further. Let's go back to the Old Testament. When Moses was taking the children of Israel out of Egypt, he appointed judges, right? And what did judges do? They judged. So if it was a part of that system, would we be appropriate to say that God has a time and a place for that even at, in the human level? If he appointed judges, you know, it's like, Oh, no, now this is being tossed out? I don't think so. But again, the challenge is, are we seeing things from a godly perspective? Or are we trying to just do this on our own out of selfish motivation? Um, you have the judges in Matthew 18, same book as what we're reading this. You have a, a, a listing of how to deal with confrontation in the church. When you see somebody doing something that's, wrong and, and you go to them individually and then you bring somebody else that's connected to it and then if there's no response you take it before the whole church that's a form of judgment right but again it's that idea of how do you do this properly or appropriately um in in second timothy chapter four when paul's talking to timothy and he's saying preach the word he says correct, reprove, rebuke, all of those things are tied to it. And there's this awareness that, yes, there's an appropriateness for declaring truth. There's an appropriateness for saying this is what's right and this is what isn't right. So we wrestle through those things and try to say, okay, God, but I've got to have your mind because I know the selfishness of my heart and the tendency for me to try to just get things my way. Um, 1 Corinthians, the spiritual person judges all things, but himself is not to be judged by anyone. For who has the understanding of the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So he said, if we take on the mind of Christ, then we have the, the, the right to discern and to, to decide what, what's appropriate here. 1 Thessalonians, Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Look around you. Evaluate. But hang on to the good. And then finally, I, I want to give a verse out of Galatians. If anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So what's, what's the point? It's, it's like, you see something in front of you, and you're going, I don't know about this. There are times when you walk through and say, I'm just being prejudicial, because I'm looking at this person, and I'm making a snap judgment just based on what I see. It's wrong. Or maybe we're going, you know what? <laughs> My own pride is interfering here, and I, I, I'm trying to exalt myself over this person. It's wrong. We know that. Or you look at the situation and you're going, 
They don't know what they're doing. And the truth is, we don't know what we're talking about. That's a wrong judgment. Or you just, you know, you're, you're looking at a situation and, and uh, you're just being harsh. You know, it's like you have no compassion in your heart. Again, it's wrong. But that said, what the challenge before us is to say, I serve a very good and generous God who has reached out to people that have wronged things, and he brought them back to him. He restored their lives. He, he washed away our sin, right? And, and we've embraced that and said, I'm glad he did that. But then he asks us to become that kind of person as well that looks around us and says, yeah, here's an injustice. Well, what can I do to bring that into health? Not just what can I do to declare that's wrong or this isn't appropriate or, you know, but what is, what is the fullness that can be brought in this situation? What is restoring this thing to health? What is bringing it into the place of seeing it like God sees it and bringing it to a place where he's satisfied with it. In our personal relationships, it's easy to stand up for ourselves or, you know, or to just try to get our way. And there's a tendency for us to just hammer each other, and, and yet in the Lord, oftentimes, we're, we're, we're caught up in this thing where he's, I want you to forgive that person. Well, they haven't, they haven't bowed down to me yet and admitted they're wrong. And yet, in the Lord, we know it's time to release it. Or there are times when, when he asks us for generosity out of our lives and we're going, they just waste it. They don't spend it properly. They don't plan enough. You know, and, and we can go through this whole litany of why they're broke. And yet... He said, I, I helped you out a time or two, <laughs> or more. And there's this awareness that generosity responds even in those situations. And, and so we look at this and we're going, God, help us. For again, in this passage, as we've looked at this Sermon on the Mount, he calls us to a different level of attitude and, and value and behavior that that far exceeds what, what is natural to us. But it's developing the mind of Christ within us. It's allowing His Spirit to transform us into the people that shine brightly like He wants us to shine. And so we say, Lord, help us. You know, help us to recognize that True justice links righteousness and mercy and generosity and goodness and all these things together. That uh, even though sin clouds our ability to see things, we have an opportunity to have our eyes set free, so to speak, and to see things with his eyes or to live graciously using spiritual discernment. God help us, huh? Thank you for your scripture that speaks life Thank you for the privilege of having our salvation granted to us and your appropriation of it long before we did anything right.
Thank you, Lord, that we can become a people like you and express a, a generosity and a goodness using a measure that we wanted to be treated with. Amen. Okay, let's bring this back into the practical side of things. Let's ask the Lord in this moment, are there ways that I've been acting judgmental toward others that are detrimental? And just uh, allow him to bring names to mind if that's the case. And then let's, let's take that a step further and say, God, I don't always see things with your eyes goodness and generosity that you have exhibited to me far exceeds any good that I could do. I mean, that's a, a powerful principle, right? When you and I stand before him and we anticipate being ushered into eternity and living with him forever, there is nothing in the temporal and in this lifetime that we could do that would earn that. But we just say that's the generosity of God that far exceeds any goodness or rightness and, and so taking that principle to earth even now says I will be doing some things of generosity and goodness that far exceed what what anybody would do so so I would give back to them right cultivate that in my my thinking so that uh, I actually see with your eyes and, and respond the way that you would respond because it it's not there in the natural, but it's still available for us to act out in this life. So Lord, bring that to our minds even now. I pray for God's blessing upon you and remind you that there's not a meal for the next two weeks downstairs afterwards. Okay? No generosity this week. <laughs> Char's taking a break. <laughs> May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they discover with joy how generous you are. The desire to bring the full health. Cleanse our bad attitudes, we pray. Drive away darkness. Allow us to see things with your eyes. I ask that as we go into the community that you'll give us words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable us to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift us with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, O oh Lord. We love you this day. Amen. Amen. God bless you.